Hey, everybody, it's Ryan Ripley. Wanted to get a new offering in front of you as soon as possible, evidence-based leadership. And so, as you all know, Todd Miller, myself, and Will Seeley, we're big on evidence-based management. We want to apply it to the leadership space. We all know that modern managers face complex challenges every day. You're juggling a lot of needs, your direct reports, your stakeholders, your customers, they all need constant attention. What we want to do is help you manage that. We want you to use information and data to make good decisions around all of these areas so that we're delivering the right thing at the right time for the right customer. And we know that we're doing that because we're using data and evidence to validate all the things that we're doing. And not only that, we're not just looking at value, but we're looking at our capabilities as an organization. Can we deliver on time? Can we innovate effectively? Do we have too much tech debt? Do we have too many things in process? Are we unable to deliver when the market demands that we do? We look at all of these things with evidence-based management. We merge that into a leadership uh, mindset and lens, and we enable you to make new and better decisions repeatedly based off of the data that you're collecting within your organization. It's exciting stuff. We hope you can join us. Visit agileforhumans.com forward slash EBL course. Join us in one of these offerings. We think you're going to love it. Hope you can join us. Use Agile for Humans, the number four to take another 15% off of this course. And uh, we can't wait to see you there. Yeah. We're um, live. We're live on we YouTube. are live. Here we are. Craft Brood Agile. I think this is number nine with Patricia Kong and Todd Miller and me, Ryan Ripley. What's up? What's so, up? Guys, I took this very seriously in terms of drinking, right? But um, I didn't prepare anything else. <laughs> like, like I got my face on, I made a cocktail. You didn't see the interview questions that we sent to you in advance about how formal this is? I mean, this is my business casual. <laughs> I, awesome. got, I got some of my, my liquor up for you guys. And, uh, classy. Always classy with Patricia Khan. Well, you look great. You have some highbrow, uh, highbrow uh, liquor with you. I think that's awesome. So you're prepared. Um, and this is easy. This is an easy show, right? So we, we're going to tell everybody what we're drinking. Okay. We're gonna basically talk for agile, talk agile stuff for about 30 seconds and then veer off into some nonsensical space. Um, it'll yes. be fine. All right. So, and I've got a surprise for Patricia today. And Todd has a special surprise for Patricia. So this will be yeah. fun. But we got to start with what we're drinking. Why do I feel so nervous? I never feel nervous around these things. You'll be fine. So I'm continuing to support our fellow PST, Eric Weber. He's a he's got a stake in the in the gathering place in Wisconsin. So today I'm drinking slightly askew from the gathering place. It's a lovely um, unfiltered uh, Hell's Lager. I'm enjoying it. 4.6 ABV. So I might have to reload to keep up with uh, Patricia and Todd, but slightly askew from uh, The Gathering Place. How about you, Todd? Yeah, I'm going again with Tired Hands. Shout out to my uh, boy Scott out there that always is hooking me up with these. This is a milk, uh, a banana daiquiri milkshake IPA. That makes oh, that, me crazy. That sounds very... It's actually, it's actually, it's actually awesome. <laughs> There's sounds... too much to read on the label for me to figure out what the percentage is, but my guess is it's high. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I also want to give a shout out to my old rugby club, Roses Rugby. I'm wearing their t-shirt today. I've Sweet. worn it for a long time. It's really faded. Shout out to all my bros. Shout out to Todd's CrossFit gym. I'm wearing their shirt. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Oh, okay. Shout out to. Yeah. What do you got, Patricia? Boston. Um, <laughs> I'm drinking water. Because yesterday I drank half a bottle of rose with Todd, where I had to get all the trash talk out of me. Yeah. And then I'm drinking a Negroni because I don't drink beer because it makes my stomach hurt, not because I'm fancy which is a third of gin, a third of Campari, and a third of vermouth. And today I was fancy because I sliced some orange in there. I'm pretty sure you got me to drink one of those oh, in yeah, Amsterdam. And yeah. I enjoyed it. It's and good. And you loved it. I did love it. Do you think you could make one? It's so easy. No, I, I probably could later. Right now, probably not. <laughs> okay, so I'm going to try to not do two things on okay. this. I'm, I'm going to try not to cuss because you, you guys know I, I say swears a lot. Yeah. And I'm going to try not to pee. 
<laughs> you know, like when you're drinking, you need to get a pee break in. <laughs> those are, I think those are two really good goals. Yeah. <laughs> That's literally, I was like, okay, this is what I'm going to try not to do. I, it's, so I'm willing to, to bet she breaks one of the two. <laughs> I, I will not take that bet. Um, <laughs> I guarantee one of those is going to happen. Hopefully, hopefully the P one doesn't happen on the air. <laughs> like, can you do like a commercial break it. or do i have to pee in my pants <laughs> it'll be all right we'll let you take a break so okay all right so we've got the drinks out of the way um todd what do you got yeah you so usually I'm have right. you've got the insightful question where are we going today well um i mean should we get the surprise now let's hold her like I'm gonna hold just hold this over your head the entire time. This thing, and I'm gonna show you and see your reaction too. There's nothing like you know making a woman feel nervous in a. <laughs> now I feel uncomfortable. Because <laughs> I can turn it right around. So here's something I've always been interested. In. So Patricia, I feel like I've known you since before I was in the PST community. You remember we met at the? Um, you probably maybe not remember, but I met you the, for, for the first time when I was actually a student in an SPS class. Oh, I remember. Yeah, you were wearing you a white button-up. I was. With a very huge backpack, and you looked really nervous, but you were smart. And that's what I remember. <laughs> Am I, I don't remember what you were wearing. You shouldn't. Yeah. Okay, good. <laughs> All right. So, I, you know, I, ever since then, I feel like, uh, like you and I can just talk shop all day. And uh, um, so, but what I've always really been interested in is, uh, you, I, you know, um, so what's your official title with Scrum Network? I can never remember. Uh, product owner of Enterprise and Leadership Solutions. Yeah, Enterprise. So, <laughs> so what, that's a broad spectrum, right? There's a lot so of stuff. And I feel like every time we talk recently, we're talking about evidence-based management and all this, all this kind of stuff. So I'm just kind of curious how you how you got into that space um, mm. and how like what makes your like brain just like live there? Because you and I talk and we could divulge into a different path, but we're always kind of centered around those kinds of topics. Mm -hmm. so I think she's actually, she has some really good product owner thoughts too that we're going to get out of her at some point. <laughs> Guys, I'm going to need, hold on. <laughs> but yeah, so Patricia, how did you get into, I mean, what got you into this space? Yeah, so I, um, into this space, well, I have a pretty corporate background. Um, nobody could have guessed that. And then um, I think it just into the agile world, it was kind of like everybody else's story, but I had my back up against the wall um, and I was leading product management, well, product development too at a startup. And we were like, ooh, crap. We can't get anything done with this agile stuff. And that was several, like, you know, I don't know, 10, over 10 years ago. And then, um, so I learned about that and that was when I was living in France. And so I actually moved back from France to here. And I was like, hey, you know, let me, let me check out what I really wanna do. Cause I'm tired, I was tired from having a startup life, I was tired of having corporate life. And then um, I found Scrum.org and Ken Schraber and I were talking and um, he brought me in to manage the business operations at that point to help with some of the automation. But the thing that we were really interested in was working on something called the Continuous Improvement Framework, SIF, right? So that was about how can you use Scrum to improve the organization? Mm -hmm. And then we were working on that and uh, messed up several times or just found stuff didn't work. And we've just been trying a lot of different experiments and that's the world that I've, I've fell into. And I'm really passionate about that because it's saying, you know, we know what can work about at, at the team level, but then you hit all these walls. So it's really challenging and interesting to think about the other, the other spectrums and how to bring them in. Was that the answer you were looking for? Well, yeah. I think it's an answer, right? It's a good answer. I'm interested too, SIF, because you and I have talked a little, a lot about agility path, right? And is that, are those things related at all or? Yeah, so like SIF, it became continuous improvement framework SIF. We found out it was the name of like a cleaning product in, <laughs> um, in, in the UK or something. So we couldn't use that. And then there was another product manager working on it at that time. Um, uh, and she was a product manager then. And then it became um enterprise scrum and all these things and this was about seven years ago right so i've been with scrum.org seven almost eight years and it was way back and then what we found was that it was really hard 
to have those conversations and not a lot of companies were thinking that way, right? So we're researching Cotter stuff. We're looking at those different things. And then um, what we did find that captured the attention of some of the management executives we were talking to um, was, well, when you think about this, you're trying to do some sort of agile transformation, which I think is a crock of dumb. Uh, we agree. The, yeah. <laughs> the, the, um, you need to inspect. So how do you inspect? Well, now we talk, have a conversation around evidence. And uh, like, if you were to ask me what I'm thinking about, it's kind of like, we're still talking about empiricism, you know? So it's, it's, it's really that. So that's how we said we need evidence. And then if you're thinking about evidence and the best available evidence, don't just think it's data. Um, how would we be able to manage, make decisions off of that, right? So Ryan, I'm sure you're super familiar with that kind of thinking uh, yeah. too. And then, right too. yeah. Yeah. And then Todd, you just, you've just been running like a, a bull in a China shop. Is that what yeah, people say? Yeah. Probably, yeah. You could probably say that happened sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> so there's a lot of cool stuff in that, Patricia. One of, one of the things that you kind of just kind of flew by is that time you spent in France. So you're actually a fluent French speaker, correct? Wait. Wait. <laughs> That doesn't, also, that doesn't prove it. So, it I, but I also have heard you're also fluent in Chinese. Yeah, I speak two dialects of Chinese. And also, I mean, and English, but I think you've often said English is your worst. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's why I cuss so much. No. Because <laughs> no, you can just think, fill in the gaps. I think it's really cool. Like the the, the background you bring it. I, I, I'm fascinated by languages, especially the, the mental processing of languages. Um, I used to be decent at Spanish, but I also play a game like the game of chess. They say is a mental language, right? You're so you, so the move pieces move in a certain way, and like you have to visualize and, and think in different patterns, and and so I've always been been curious about this. And you're I think you're the perfect person to ask this, right? So you've got you know, fluent in English, fluent in French, fluent in Chinese. Do you ever find, and this is going to be such an off the wall question, like whether you're you get fired up about something, do you switch? Or when you dream, do you switch? Like, do you ever find certain situations bring out, but I don't mean verbally, I mean mentally. Like, do you ever just kind of switch gears and all of a sudden you're in a different language space? So- um, a question, right? No, I think it's a good question because it's, um, so language is like, it's like running. Right, so if like you don't practice, you lose it. So I have to keep practicing. So probably my French and Chinese is not as good as my English, which doesn't say a lot now. But um, <laughs> the, the there's something that's that's always been I found um, weird with me. But I learned that I think Brene Brown has the same thing, is that when I hear someone talk and they have an accent while I'm having conversation with them, I will start to mimic their accent. And it's just very natural. And I, I catch it and I'm here. I was like, why do I have a Southern accent now? This is so weird. <laughs> However, I do when I, um, when I dream, it's usually in English, but then there have been times when I wake up and I'm like, whoa, was I dreaming in French? Like that means I've made it, you know, like I'm dreaming <laughs> in another language. Or there's times when I read and if I'm reading something that's written by like a PST from Germany or from wherever, I hear that dialect when I'm reading. Um, and then I will say that with my husband, we started in English. And uh, if one, I get really mad when we're in France, we'll go to English. Uh, and here, if I have crap I want to say, we go to French. I'm in Boston. Um, <laughs> but so, so that, and I've had different times where like I'm have, I have my husband, he's, he's speaking French, my mother's speaking Chinese. My mother can speak English. I don't know why she does this, but I'll be translating at the same time. I'll be speaking to him <laughs> French and then I'll speak to her in English, in Chinese, and then I'll speak to him in English, and then it just goes, it's so weird. I don't know why we do that. But I think learning a language is super humbling. Yeah. You have to get you have to get over a lot of hurdles and really challenge yourself because I remember when I was learning and I would get, like your ego has to really get swelled. You miss something, it just messes you up. And you have to just figure out how to get over that and still convey yourself, which is why it's probably easier for kids. You know, I, and I, the reason I asked that is because you also brought up transformations. And I, and I think that um, the same thing happens. Like, cause I, I totally agree with you. Learning Spanish, you have to really kind of drop the ego and be, go back to beginner mind and be willing to sound like a fool and say weird sentences. And 
and and I, what I'm what we find, especially with Scrum adoptions, Agile adoptions, I hate the word transformation in this space because you're not there's no endpoint. You, you there's never a time where you put empiricism back on the shelf and call it a day, right? So we're always we're continually changing. But what we have found um, in our adventures and teaching, and and I'm sure you've been there too, is that when that ego can't go away, when they can't, when people can't get kind of, you know, let go of the, well, this waterfall stuff was great, but now it's not. And, or this PMI stuff worked for one, for one moment, but now it doesn't. When they can't get over that hurdle, they won't, they will not or cannot or resist learning the language of, of, I think Scrum's a language too. It's a way of working. I think empiricism brings different, different words and different practices and different techniques. They get stuck. And, and I think language adoption is probably one of the closest experiences that we have to actually trying to put or, or to bring agility to an org. Do you think I'm, I'm stretching here? Does that make sense? Do you think I can ask a question on that quick? Yeah. Do you think everybody in the world is capable of learning multiple languages? No, I would say no. What do you think, Patricia? I think yes. Kids. Like if, you were, if you were a child, then you yeah. also, um, so, most or, so this is interesting because mo most organizations are children. I'm sorry, Patricia. <laughs> right? No, like they're not. Most organizations that we deal with are, are not in their infancy. So are are they capable? So I see I see what you're saying. I think because I know some executives, they said, hey, you're going to go work in China now. In order to work here, you need to learn Mandarin. Um, we're going to send you up here for five weeks. And you're just that's all you're going to do. And when you have no choice, right, you, you give it and you do it and you just learn and and all that stuff. There is a, I think there's a parallel with language where, you know, I, I can, you get, you can get good in different facets of language. Maybe it's reading, maybe it's, it's speaking, but there is that, you know, you get 80% and then that 20% is super hard. And I think that's the same thing when we're talking about adopting a different language, a different mindset. Um, and then there's that desire, right? So it's like, it's super, if it's innate in you and you've been around this, that that's lifestyle. I think, I think for me, a parallel, another parallel would be like health and fitness and wellness, right? People all do those, those body transformations, keto before, keto after you miss all the stuff in the middle. You miss when like, you know, you go and binge because you're in quarantine. You miss like all these things that happen before and after. That's why transformation is not that simple as A and B um, for me. Yeah. So that would be another, another similar thing. It's funny you mentioned that because I, you know, in terms of fitness, it's something I like. I I do CrossFit coaching on the weekends, right? Everybody, I've been made fun about it a lot, uh, but it's cool. What, it's what do they say? Uh, Why do you get made fun of? How exactly are you ridiculed? Tyler? Yeah, exactly. Don't make me share my surprise right now because I'll blow the lid off this whole thing. If you get oh my god! I back on topic. <laughs> okay now we're derailed i'm doing it all right no why do people make fun of you for doing cross teaching I don't know. It's, it's it's just something like some there's been a couple times where somebody finds that like on an old profile or something like that and like bring an in, will introduce me at a conference about it or something like that and people are like ha, 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 and i'm like what's why is that funny what's that funny yeah and then i can't but i can't be like why do you why do you guys why do all hundred of you think that's funny why'd you laugh like i don't want then they laugh gonna show something embarrassing of me because you will see me eventually no no not yet no he'll stab you <laughs> this is the closest we're ever gonna get i'm gonna stab you with a can of mayonnaise <laughs> Brian's gonna have to dump the rest of this podcast yeah. webinar stream. Oh no, this is live streamed. I can't stop it. So yeah. God, what's this your is how it tends to go. This is how it tends to go. Let's, and let's, I think I'm the derailer. I think that I'm the one that commonly derails this. No, it's good. But so now you got to show the picture though. Okay. All right. Line. So are you, are you look, I, I want you to tell me what your first reaction when you see this is. You asshole! <laughs> Shit! Shit! <laughs> I can't believe you did that. Oh my. <laughs> now she looks unhappy. Todd, what did you do? That's, that's gross! <laughs> so we just learned for everybody that might be watching yesterday that <laughs> Patricia's scared of birds. And now oh. I'm 
equally as scared as uh, of Patricia the next time <laughs> that I see her. She's yeah. Oh my gosh. I'm not. I'm glad I didn't tell you the other thing that I'm really afraid of because if if I saw that on the screen, I would have locked up. There's two other things. Actually, I'm probably never like you guys are done with me, right? Like you got your 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 token, and I won't be on this. this oh. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. So um, so there's two things. So that's actually third on the list of three things I'm really afraid of. First What's is one? rodents. Oof, rodents. Yeah. Uh, please do not share a screen of a rodent. Um, like I haven't watched okay, Ratatouille, no. Disney. Disney. Second is clowns. And third is um, pigeons. So oh, clowns? No, no, I can hear you guys clicking. No, <laughs> I'm, I'm deleting the picture, so I'm not tempted. No, I'm not going to delete I, it quite yet. I'm with you on clowns. Yeah, clowns Freaky terrify out. me. Can't they're creepy, right? Were you kidnapped what? by one? Nope. Just they, they're fake. They, they, it's a painted face. They're not really happy all the time. Yeah. Well, Do you I'm, feel I'm like it? Mm, yeah. Um, Pee Wee's Playhouse. I don't know. I don't remember that it had a clown in it. Um, do you guys feel like like that about people who wear a lot of makeup in general? I don't know. I don't know. Like anything. the fake, like just I, women maybe who wear a lot of makeup. I, you know, I, I will actually say I think that's triggering something. I think I might. Yeah. I actually, my wife wears very little makeup, and I love that about her. How do you guys feel about plastic surgery? I think it depends on the reason. I think it depends on why they do it. I'm still trying to let you get you to let me do that that talk. So I want about to done. So you have about a, done in plastic surgery. You can do it. You can do it. So, we just can't use Michael Jackson. Is that what it was like? When was he done? Oh my God, guys, you guys aren't going to be able to play any so of this. Patricia has a product owner talk that she wants to know. <laughs> this is so bad. Oh, this might end the show, Todd. We might. Yeah. No, it's not Patricia. It's um, Patrick. Patrick has a talk. Patrick has a talk. No. So when is when is it enough? And they actually have TV shows about that now. It's like the, you know, the the one hundredth, you know, nose job or I I don't know. Done is a weird term to everybody, right? When are we actually done with anything? I don't know. I think. I wonder if we could use botched, like botched stuff, as technical debt and what that does and how it holds you back. Oh, it's a quality <laughs> issue. But that would imply that you would just keep going back to the same person that botched it, and you're just yeah. accumulating botched jobs, like, like your cheeks go like, like you like, like that from the stuff that they put in the cheeks. Yeah, I don't know. You get some horrible infection from a Botox shot or... Yeah. yeah. And you go back because the price was cheap. Um, I honestly don't know enough about that whole industry to say whether... Like, I don't understand it, I don't think. There's yeah, certain, we there's probably should of... stop talking then. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This is a weird one. I, I, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I, I think, uh, yeah, what's next? <laughs> I'll, get, I'll get educated and help Patrick on the done... I'm the duck. I can, the should I repeat Ryan's question? Uh, what language do you hear when you dream? <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> okay, moving on. But I, Wait, I, should I tell the pigeon story? So why does that picture bother you so much? Because yeah. it's a nest. It's oh no, what if, I love pigeons. I love pigeons. Uh, no, it's just because uh, um, Todd was sharing that his wife um, is scared of birds Terrified. to the extent where they have to remove the bird houses or something around the house, which makes sense because uh, you don't want the churd. You don't want the, the poop on your house. True. Or cars. Or cars. Yeah, yeah. Or cars. Um, the, uh, the reason is because is when I was a kid, I remember I was standing in like an alcove and there was an air conditioning unit and I'm standing there um, and I'm, I'm relatively tall. So I'm the tallest of these uh, other females I'm standing with. And I hear like a mooing. And I'm like, what's wrong? And I moo. And I look up and I realize it's cooing and I see this large pigeon woman, female, and looking at me and then she dives down at me and I dive on the street. And that's, that's the memory I have. And that's why I stay away from pigeons. She probably had a nest. Yeah, she's doing her job. Yeah, so Paul, Todd, we do have a, a watcher who said that it's awesome that you do CrossFit. So Paul thinks you're, you're cool. Thanks, Paul. Paul's a good dude. So yeah, Paul's, Paul's on board. 
you know, Patricia, something else I've always wanted to ask you about. Um, you are one of the early, uh, you're like what employee number, it's a low digit at, at, at scrum.org. And so that, I think that means a lot of access to Ken. And so Todd and I have had interactions with Ken, usually at a distance. We don't like to bother him, try to let him do his thing, but like, we love the guy, like his, he, he's given us this amazing career. Um, he's created something that I, I don't think we'll, we, I don't think I've ever been in the same room as someone who's changed the world as much as he has. He's literally changed the way we do work globally. And so I know that um, from time to time you get in, in discussions with them and, and, and the opportunities, a lot of access to them. And so I'm just, I'm curious, what's it like actually, you know, getting to sit down and have like a deep, meaningful conversation with someone who's a, a modern day genius, right? Is it, I mean, he truly is. And so what is it like just sitting there and, and just, you know, getting to, to have that kind of, that kind of interaction? Ken is very, Ken and Chris, uh, Chris Schwiber's life, they're very near and dear to my heart. So uh, we have, a, we've developed a personal relationship, but um, he would do something like this. He would say, Ryan, do you think I gave you your career or you gave yourself your career? Right? It, like, it's just, it, it's always, we, when you come into things, we're so quick into solutioning. We're so quick into all these. And he always is just at another operating like just thinking in a different way that allows you to be better and think differently right so he's always you know we we when we were you know years ago making a lot of different decisions he was really focused on the mission right and the mission at that point for him is improving the profession of software delivery and we had a lot of conversations about what is professionalism but he's always pointed at um thinking, well, if I wanted to make a lot of money, I could do that. But Trish, if I was trying to improve the profession, maybe that's not what I would do. And you're like, that's right, right? And so it's it's always this kind of guiding you, having focus and, and driving you to think about that. And then the other thing he has always, that that's really resonates with me. And this is just like, you know, in terms of thinking uh, about what we do in our industry is that, you know, just do the right thing. Cause at least at the end, you've done the right thing. Yeah. And he's said, and I found that that's helped me have a career and, and make money. So he's very focused and guided on those things, but he, he's very rigorous. He's very focused. Um, but the conversations are just, you know, super reflective and allowing you to think about something that if you had taken the extra two seconds, you know, potentially could have come back. So reflecting it, but he's also a riot. Um, he's also kooky. He's thinking about all sorts of things we're not even thinking about right now, right? He's thinking about quantum physics. He's studying that. Um, and if you ever want to talk to him, he loves a good dessert. He loves chocolate. He loves well, and it's, it's funny you bring that up because one of one of the most memorable dinners um, was with uh, you and Ken and Chris and we, you know, Dave was there. Um, we were doing a face to face, and the whole time, I'll, I'll never forget like this, just. I mean, he's genuinely curious about things, but he also had this boyish grin on his face as he was sneaking pieces of a banana split. And just this really, yeah, and the sweets kept him at the table. We got to keep talking to him a bit, but just the, I don't know, it's like this endless fascination in the most minute things. And I, and I find that to be really neat. Like he, everything's cool. Like everything's interesting. Everything has some degree of fascination, but especially the banana split. And I thought that was just such a cute kind of moment that, you know, he's like, absolutely. <laughs> I brought him to a sushi buffet, a Japanese sushi buffet. And he was like, and so we're like totally waterfalling the situation. First, we're going to order a round of apps. Then we're going to order all the sushis and then we'll get to dessert. He's like, I want the fried bananas. And the woman, the server is like, no, that's dessert. And he's like, that's what I want. And he just all desserts, <laughs> all dinners, just all, that's his chance. It was fried bananas and fried Oreos and all that stuff. So, awesome. um, he does, but he doesn't, he doesn't like superfluous things. So he's not into like watching a lot of TV. Yeah. You know? I find like the highly successful uh, people, that's a very common trend. They're not, they're, they don't spend a lot of time on the, on the vegging out, the, the, the TV and stuff like that. And it's been uh, almost every, every biography you read or every like insight into highly successful people, you'll see that they're not just Netflix and chill all the time, but 
it's just uh, something he, it's so, yeah so that's why <laughs> that's why i'm not you know sitting on an island somewhere but uh but no it's it's interesting it, it's fun to you know it's just a, it's neat to hear kind of some of that inside baseball about some of the people you really look up to and it's cool to have that access and and it's just one of the one of the many many awesome things that comes from you know access to the to the pst community the ability to be here and it's just great and so that's that's fun um but more about having access to you guys well that's that's i'm hopefully that's all right but uh my beer is strong i told you you were drinking homeless beer (laughs) Yeah, it's true. sorry. I was like, oh, this happens a couple times. How many episodes? I'm like, oh wait, we're live on YouTube. That's right. I'm like looking out my window and like just listening to you guys. Uh, you guys chat about Ken, which is which is awesome. But as far as about you, Patricia, how? I mean, we're all we're all gonna look back on this year. We're in mm. kind of like the COVID. We're in the middle of the COVID uh, nineteen issue, uh, the pandemic, the lockdown. And what have you been up to in this lockdown? How are things going for you in Boston? Like, what's that experience been like? I'm doing a lot of this. <laughs> for those of you that are listening and not watching, there is a massive collection of liquor behind Patricia. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man, I got a deeper question that I can add on top of this. Add it. Uh, I'm going to give you a theoretical. I think you'll like it. So okay. let's say that you're an organization that has implemented evidence-based management in the past year, a year ago. Um, what kind of pivot, pivot do you need to make on what you're measuring right now based yeah. off of the circumstances of the world? Like, think about that. So I, I've been thinking about this, right? I've been thinking about places that I've worked with and talked about evidence-based management. I've been thinking about the KVMs and the impact on the KVAs. Like, how can... How can you possibly, how can those not have massive changes in the way that they look at the moment? And if they don't, then are you measuring the right thing? Do do you see where I'm going with where I've actually been thinking about this quite a bit? Mm -hmm. Like what kind of, what kind of craziness might be happening with it? For those of you who can't see, I was looking out the window and reflecting. Um, Excellent (laughs) question. So, um, so, so this was kind of a cool, um, conversation that um that we had and then ryan i'll uh, i'll let you know what what i've been doing besides drinking oh yeah i'm um, sorry i just my mind just totally <laughs> totally took it in a different place no you're good uh, that's actually the harder question like what have you been doing besides drinking um so <laughs> the 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 thing that the example you know that 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 you and i were visiting a bit before was if you're a restaurant right now business right what um what do you need to do to make sure at this time that you can stay afloat so what are the different metrics and measurements that you might look at so before if you're a restaurant you're going to be looking at your reviews you know if you're owning a business you're going to be looking at deliveries you're going to be looking at number of guests and then you and i were talking about uh you told me the story about how some lady down the street punched uh, a server in at, at Red Lobster. Yeah, at Red Lobster, love Red Lobster. Um, uh, because biscuits. What's because that? she couldn't get her cheddar biscuits in time, right? Yeah. So, but now if you think about that from a restaurant business, you are you you may have limited seating, you have, have all these different things, but you're trying to look at that throughput. So you're trying to get customers probably out as quick as possible. You're probably trying to. Um, look at how long it takes you to process orders, those kind of things, right? You're you're trying to optimize for something else. And what that really becomes, conversation really becomes is what is that goal that's changed, right? So right now you have a fire, you're trying to put that out. So the goal of a restaurant is stay in business. Now we got to satisfy our customers quickly. What can we do? Maybe we don't want to have the most diverse meal. Maybe we want to do some other thing. And what is that value that we have? There's another restaurant that provides a very interactive experience in in the Boston area. And they did something cool where they said, that is the thing that we want to do. So now we're going to be able to deliver those meals, the ingredients to you. And now we're going to Zoom and we're going to cook together. We're still having that interactive experience, very personalized experience, right? So their, their model is different, but they were trying to say, what can we do to keep you know, true to our, 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 our proposition that we want to provide to customers. And what that made me think about, and I've been thinking about this for two or three days, um, is this notion of uh, like 
the notion of change, right? So even mm -hmm. think about how the training community, um, how we had to think about training has been one thing and that's what we've always been, right? It's, it's interactive, super interactive, face-to-face, -face, we prefer that. And now COVID's happened, what does that mean? You know, how do we do that the same in virtual, right? Um, and so I think that when you have those different goals, the thing that I've been thinking about and it's not very fleshed out, but it's this notion of change. And so the immunity to change, but what are those assumptions that we have? What are the excuses that we tell ourselves that have narrowed us down the path? Like you don't, you shouldn't derail from what you were thinking about doing. Um, that might change, those goals might change, but um, I am interested in seeing, do people make a lot of excuses and assumptions? So do people go, hey, you know what, the Agile initiative that we have, uh, we shouldn't do that anymore because I think we need to be really controlled. So I'm going to go back into this stance, right? So there's a lot of different excuses that we can come up. So that's, that's something that I've been thinking about. So I would ask people to revisit what are those, what are those things that are really trying to achieve and look at the measurements around that because it's just having information to help you make a better decision rather than a gut-based you know, decision. That's so interesting. You just said that. And I'm wondering how many companies have used this almost as an excuse to go back to the way they were working before. Yeah. And then on in a different light too, I can't help but think that, you know, um, like, even besides this whole situation, it, as the world changes, are you still measuring the same things? And are they even are they even relevant anymore? Right. So the restaurant example, we talked. We you and I have like deep dived into that last week or something. We were. Well, I think we went crazy with it, which was was cool. It was fun talking about the red lobster punching lady. <laughs> but think about it. Think about if restaurants were still trying to measure the same factors right now that they were three months ago, like how long does it take a server to get to a table? How long does it take until somebody's seated? How long does it take till they get their meal? Those things are completely irrelevant now. What if they were still trying to measure them? And how many organizations, if you take that abstract example, are still trying to measure things that are completely irrelevant and mm -hmm. how much time and money are they spending on measuring those things? Yeah, right? and I think measuring is a component of it, right? I think. I think the other thing is people probably aren't even measuring anything, but it's actually important if you are in a space where you don't know what's going to happen. So you got to run some experiments, mm -hmm. then that's why it's like, it's still about empiricism. So it's still about if you're trying to run an experiment, how do you know if that's valid or not? What are you thinking about? How do you know this is working or not? Maybe you should continue this post COVID. We're going to be in a different space no matter what, right? Some people don't have to go to their offices anymore. There's going to be a lot of things. And so I would, I would, I'm really thinking about how do enterprises think about um, somebody threw this term and I really liked it, redesigning themselves, right? So now you need to be really focused. There are a lot of people out there who I'm thinking, who are, I'm sure are thinking, everybody's thinking this, how do I demonstrate my worth to show that I'm valuable to my organization and I don't get canned uh, with this whole sweep because of the economy and the recession, right? So how am I gonna demonstrate my worth? Um, how do I know how to invest my money so that we can make sure that we're making the wisest decision. Ryan, you and I've had tons of conversations about this. That's that's probably, that should be really urgent right now. Yep. Yeah. Um, and and that should push it to the front. I mean, you should be thinking about that anyways, but it should be thinking of, you can make some smarter decisions right now if you if you think for two minutes. Yeah, and I think the restaurant thing is such a good example. And you've served value proposition, like fresh food, right? So well, I'm in Valparaiso, Indiana, right? So that's, that's my city. Please, no listeners, don't come here. Don't show up at my house. But I'm in Valparaiso, Indiana. It's not a culinary um, mecca by any stretch. But we have these amazing restaurants in our downtown. And one of them, probably with the most popular restaurant, it's called Stacks. If you're ever in Valparaiso, go to Stacks. They're awesome. We try to, to, to get food from them once a week just to keep a, just to support them. But what they did, like immediately they, they updated their website. Here's, here's how you can order online and it goes straight to our kitchen. And they told all of their servers, um, you're now going to deliver food, right? So instead of taking food to a table, you're going to take it to a house. And so we're going to do that safely. We're going to have ways for you to do that. And they also reached out in, into the community and they said, look, these servers are now delivering food. Please, you know, if you can afford a, a higher tip, please do that. And so what happened is they also had to simplify their menu 
And so they took all of their most, they looked at their data. What are, what's the hot sellers? Like what's at, what are the things that sell when people come here uh, in the physical location? So they streamlined the menu. They even put a few alcoholic drinks on there. Some of the favorites that only you can get there. And they basically just, uh, they said, this is what we're going to, we're, we're going to streamline this. We're going to um, have the servers deliver the food, but we're still going to get the high quality food while it's still hot to people's houses. And they just, they're crushing it. They're crushing it so hard that when even our governor said restaurants, you can, you can start opening up again, use social distancing, you know, prefer outdoor spaces. They said, no, nah, we're not going to do that yet. That they intentionally wow. have stayed closed because they're, and I believe it's because partially for safety, right? They're, it's a very conscious family that, that's running it. They run multiple restaurants in Valpo. It's a really good setup. But I think they've also found a way to be, you know, financially successful. Their servers, everyone's still employed. Mm -hmm. um, and they don't have to bring, bring people into the restaurant. And it's actually changing the model. And mm -hmm. so it's kind of interesting. They measured the things that were the, it's really cool how they, they seem to have either intentionally or unintentionally measured the things that were important, optimized the food that everybody wanted, shifted a workforce from delivering to a table to delivering to a house, prompted the community to please help compensate them better. And all mm -hmm. those factors came together. And now they've got this thriving business and they don't have to bring people back to, I mean, they have an amazing space and they're holding off on that. Mm -hmm. it, I, this restaurant example is just so good because I think done right, um, these restaurants have been able to actually keep going. It, it's really kind of a neat story. And I, I um, what I appreciate from what you're saying about that example of um, that restaurant, um, and I've switched over to Mezcal now because that's what was behind me. Um, <laughs> mezcal with a slice of orange um is that it shows that they were not just because they were saying the government said open up you can this is what customers want i think it shows some sort of gratitude um and appreciation and respect for the staff and yeah. what they would be willing to expose or not expose to their servers to um so that's cool you know another business that has done that in oregon is strip clubs <laughs> really i try to make this the most low brow <laughs> you just how do you uh, no i love strip clubs i mean i think everybody should have reached out uh, they 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 were uh strippers were doing delivery so they would do delivery what? Uh, there was a business that opened up in portland like uh, dance delivery or food no, delivery? two things food delivery okay and then there was dance delivery and it was called boobers did you guys hear about this boobers no, so you could like you could like call up and like a dancer would socially distance and stop trying to download it right now. There's, there's, there's I'm back, I'm the back dance, to you. The, the dancer would come and um, she would dance. And then there were like drive through strip clubs, like I guess where you drive through and the dancers oh. are on the side. But but Boober, like that's Boober. People did, I respect, you know. I'm talking about adapting, right? <laughs> <laughs> can you imagine like the neighborhood just like why is there a why is there a lady getting naked in your driveway don't worry about it it's boober so <laughs> or like, or I like mean, maybe that's gonna be the you know you can go online i'm imagining this i haven't checked it out you go online and you're like what kind of entertainment do i want and that's what shows up and it's super easy there's no like calling or go, i don't know whatever i picture my son like seven years from now like ordering a pizza from boobers it's like 12 <laughs> o'clock like midnight and you know i'm i'm an old becoming an old man i'm far asleep by then <laughs> and i'm like wow. like what is going on <laughs> what a world right yeah what a world um so besides, I think, like doing typical things of like watching Tiger King and The Last Dance and, you know, spending a lot of time on TV, I guess I've been doing a lot of thinking. It's very, I mean, like at Terminator, we have to think about how are we going to have these conversations when we're so used to talking about, you know, somebody was asking me, you, you guys are all about the face-to-face. -face. Now, how does that work, right? How do teams work on those things? So like trying mm -hmm. to think about that for our business, our industry, um, I'm having a lot of good conversations, catching up with people, making sure my family's safe, yep. you know, that kind of stuff. Yeah, very similar. Tiger King was excellent. Kept us busy for a few nights, right? Yeah, but I'm all about the last dance now. That was good. Yeah. Oh, the 90s bowls. I mean, that's my childhood. Like, that's like, that's the gold. That's 
golden era of, of NBA basketball. Well, you got to bring it up, Patricia. Come on. I'm so right. tired of hearing Ryan give us <laughs> 90s Bulls stats and how the greatest of all time. Why? Who are you for? I'm, Philadelphia, I'm a Philadelphia sports fan. What, the 76ers have been amazing, yeah. amazing in the 90s and early 2000s. Do, do you know what my response always is? My response is always uh, double doink, Ryan. Chicago Bears, Eagles two years ago. Yeah, what the? double doink. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. How, how was that Super Bowl workout for you up in Boston, Patricia, a couple years ago? I feel like I can talk Todd, smack right now. Todd, Todd, you're not I talking think, to the right I... person. You're not talking to the right person. I don't care about football. I know that Todd Brady's pants split recently when he was golfing. That's the kind of information I'm aware of. They lit? They split? They split. Like, he was playing golf, and then he bent over, and then they split. Tiger Woods and Peyton Manning, and then who was Brady with? I know Tiger and Peyton beat Manning and was it Mickelson? I know I know Manning won the Pro-Am. It's one of the few times that Manning could beat Brady at something, but one of my all-time favorite comedy bits, right? So Nikki Glaser's doing a roast and she's, you know, it was a roast of like Charlie Sheen and Peyton Manning was there and she kind of turns to Peyton. She goes, Peyton, I just love you in those commercials you do. You like, you are the best at those. You're like the goat. You know what? You're like the Tom Brady of commercials. And it was just, oh, oh it was so amazing. And Manning <laughs> just couldn't help but laugh. But you could tell he died a little bit inside too. Did you guys, do you guys care about the Celtics? I yeah. loved like the Celtics of the like the Larry Bird. The Larry Birds. But I do you remember after when like Patino was coach and, um, there was like Paul Pierce, Antoine Walker. Yeah, I remember Paul Pierce. Yeah, Paul Pierce. So I don't the know. Sixers if... and Celtics have a bit of a. Oh, thing. I met Antoine Walker twice. Nice. Um, I met him, and I used to be a big um, NBA fan, and my sisters um, are big NBA fans. And I met him, and I'm sure he thought I was a groupie talking to him. He's like talking, we're talking, um, and then I was just like, instead of being all like, ah. I just called my sister. I said, yo, who do you think I'm talking to? Antoine Walker, why don't you talk to him? And that was my <laughs> one experience with a baller. But you um, were like, you were like, here. Here, Because <laughs> isn't it crazy? Like when you see those, like some of the professional athletes, like, so I've met like offensive linemen from uh, the NFL, or I've met some NBA players. And it's just unbelievable what, how large human beings can be. Like I'm at a six foot six, uh, offensive lineman, just like Todd Harriman's just a couple months ago at the at a Eagles game. He was doing like autographs and stuff like that. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, he's just like like a mountain. And this guy's retired for a couple of years. How much does he weigh? I, I'm not sure. Probably like bills. Yeah, he looked a lot thinner, I'm sure, than when he played in the NFL. But mm. like, like most of them are like 6'5", 6'6", 320 pounds. Like that's like just me. Like, man, that's yeah. But that's what I thought about Antoine Walker. I was really surprised to meet him in person because he has a kind of square head. And he looks big, but actually he's just really tall and thin with the square head. He's not like he's got, he's got a little chubby face. <laughs> Did you tell him that exactly? The... No, no. Yeah, yeah. Like, You've got a square head and a chubby face. Not Talk to my, my sister. sister. <laughs> I'm not trying to hook up. <laughs> Please erase that bit. Oh, that's not possible. <laughs> well, this no. is going live, Patricia. We've we're well past the moment of erasing things. Yeah. This, this one will be the comments. <laughs> yeah. Oh no. Oh no. It all derailed when I wrote up the bird picture. I knew you would like it. It's, I mean, it's it's interesting. I I I find it fascinating how companies have adapted. Even Boober is an interesting story of companies are just trying to stay relevant, right? I mean, they're trying to, you know, Todd. We went through. We probably spent the entire month of March reinventing our training businesses, trying to figure out how do we keep delivering training. How do we but not just make money. How do we like actually bring value to the students and how do we make sure they're still getting a great, you know, great experience out of it? How do they, it's tough. Like we've really had to, you know, you can't just fire up zoom and, and throw some slides up and teach a normal class. And so we've basically have reinvented all the activities and we've re redone these murals. And I mean, we've, gone through iteration among iteration we probably have hundreds of hours working in these tools now trying to figure out how do we how do we tell the tell better stories how do we have a, a better interaction and i think it's working people seem mm. happy, but man we've really had to reinvent the business from the ground up i think i think one thing ryan that you said that 
was really powerful about this, especially because I do a lot of public speaking and sometimes workshops. And it was that when you're in front of the room, the focus is on you, right? So actually a lot of trainers and entrepreneurs, there is a bit of control that you want there. And so you lose that. So there's the bit where you can't adapt, inspect and adapt, because you can't see people, people's faces. You don't know necessarily what they're doing all the time in the, in the, the breakout rooms. But um, the, I think the big thing is, is that this has always been about the learners and not the, the learners, the learnees. It's about the students, not about right. the teachers, right? And so I think that's really powerful. And maybe this was a good thing to, to re redirect that. <laughs> Um, but I think that there's also just in terms of social and what's going on in the world and society, there's a lot more of that resistance um, to, I'm going to say resistance to power over people. Yeah. And, yep. uh, and there's a equilibrium that needs to happen now. And so um, people can get on that train and they can do it with the best um, information they have with good intentions, right? Being aware of what those intentions are. And that's a good, that's a good thing, a good step forward. Because uh, people, it's just, it's not going to be going back to the way things are. And so I think like, Ryan, the thing, uh, no, uh, Todd, you were saying like, are people going back to the way things were before? They, they may, and that may, that's that, that's that short-term gain that you always talk about. So we'll see what happens. I, it's interesting you say that because it just dawns on me, like th I think about all the time, how many times I've heard either through the halls or I've experienced myself that. Like um, we can't develop a work from home policy because de developers are inherently lazy. And I'm just like, that is not like, I can't tell you how much work I could get done when I was a coder and I worked from home in four hours as compared to eight hours in the office. I just didn't have distractions. So like, do you I, believe that, that you can have just work in a team? Is it better to work apart or together? Or? So, I mean, to be honest with you, I was a huge advocate for the fact that the best um, way to communicate was face-to-face -face communication. And I think that was because of the immaturity of tools and the, and the um, hesitancy on a lot of people's behalf to come on a camera, right? And this has turned that upside down because now some people are requiring, like Ryan and I require, like you can't attend our training unless you're on a camera, right? And to turn it on. people have become so much more comfortable being on a camera that I, I, I'm sort of abandoning that. Like now I think that it is, there are a lot of things to face-to-face -face communication, right? Like there's nothing that you can substitute joking, hallway talk, having a cup of coffee or something like that. But right. to say that me as a developer, I couldn't be productive. I couldn't code the same way unless I was in the office. I, I actually think the opposite was true because I could get more done in four hours at home while I'm like binge watching like Band of Brothers or something like that on HBO just for background noise. But my only distraction was what was on the TV. It wasn't someone came into the room or uh, I got to pull my headphones off or like, and the interruptions are, I, I'm going to send you a message and see if you're available, right? Um, before where it would be like a tap on the shoulder and you'd be like, whoa, what's, what's happening, right? <laughs> like freaking out because people would, I actually one time had a mirror on my desk to see if people would sneak up behind me anyway. You know, I would have picked the Sopranos, but I agree with you. Uh, yeah, Sopranos but, is good. But too. I'll tell you what, to to the to the point earlier about you know the developers are lazy. Let, as so coming up in through the Fortune 500 in a leadership path, you know, I, I worked up through that corporate ladder. I would actually argue that the biggest hesitation to a work from home policy is that managers and directors don't know what to do if they can't see the people directly. I think it's actually insecurity on their part as far as how do I still add value if I'm not over their shoulder pressuring them? And there's some, I think there's some derivation of that, that like, what, well, what do I do if I can't just walk around and see everybody working? And, and I think that's where a lot of the resistance came in. And what COVID basically has done is said, it doesn't matter if you're insecure in your role anymore. People have to work from home right now. And we need to figure out how we add value as leaders with this remote workforce. And I, and I think we still, and again, there's a lot of bad blog posts out there. There's a lot of horrible things in the, in the agile space about, we don't need leadership. We don't need managers. We're agile. That's all false, but the way we show up is important. And the way that we, we support and enable remote people to work well is important. And I think getting over some of those fears of, well, if everyone can work remote, they don't need me. 
right? We've got to get through that and actually help some of these leaders figure out how they actually do contribute because I think that's actually the real problem. It's not that the, the it's not that devs are lazy. Mm. Um, I think people in the middle, especially, are concerned about well, what value do I bring now? Can Same. I ask you a question, Ryan? Yeah. What do you think that leaders and managers can do now that people are generally remote in our are in our space um, and they have remote workers to, to to support or to be the best managers and leaders they can? Because they can't. They're not. Maybe they're not used to that, right? Maybe it's like I can look out and I manage this whole floor or blah 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 blah. blah. What do you think that they can do now to support their teams? I, I think a lot of it uh, comes down to clearing out the impediments, like getting with their, their teams and saying, what makes delivery hard in the age of COVID? What's holding us back? And then focusing all of their energy, efforts, capital, whatever, whatever they have to removing those problems and not worrying about is Bob 100% utilized and is Jan at her desk at least seven and a half hours per day? Like all of that stuff is nonsensical and tyrannical. Like if that's what you're managing, you should be fired. But if you're actually, I'm serious. Like I, if that's the only, if that's the value, get out. Like you're too expensive to just be a clock watcher. But if you're actually figuring out like, all right, we need a new, the current the current IDEs that our devs are using, they were designed for all together one desk, but now we've got these online IDEs where Todd and Ryan can get together online and they can code in the same thing like a Google doc and let's get that tool and let's make that, I mean, that's the kind of stuff that, that leaders and managers can, or like, you know what? We've got TFS behind the firewall, but if we had GitHub online, now that people are remote, life is easier. Let's go to GitHub. Let's, that's the kind of things that we, and so, all right. So as a VP, I got to go sit with the, the security team and I guess got to sit with compliance and legal and, and procurement and make all this happen. And that's my week. Awesome. I just made life easier for the dev team. That's my role. And I, and I wish that they would go into that impediment, remove, grab the scrum masters and say, Hey, what's your top impediment for each team? And how can I just plow that thing and pulverize it with my positional authority? That's the role. It's not, well, Patricia, you were at your desk six hours and three of it was, was browsing CNN. So we have a problem. Like it's not that, you know? And so I, I, I wish, I hope people shift. You know, I was, this just brings to my mind too. I think to add to that, um, that I think it might be good to like, I think there's a difference between checking in and checking up. Um, yeah. I, I talk a lot, I think about that a lot when, as my time is as a previous product owner, or I talk about that a lot with product owners. Like <clears throat> when you check in, you're asking, yeah, how, how are things like, what, what's the status of this? If you're checking up, you're saying, how are things going? So it may not be a bad idea for those leaders too, to, to, um, think in the, you, you know, the, the space of being kind and just calling and saying, how are you? You know, just ask that question. Just give somebody like, well, my kids are driving me nuts. You know, I can't stop fighting with my wife. Like, what do I clean my package? I don't understand what Twitter to believe. Right? Like, just like listening to people too. Like there's that, there's How that. are you, Todd? How are you? I'm doing great. Yeah. Okay. Well, it looks like a wicked storm is, I'm using Boston stuff now. A wicked storm is rolling in here right now. I think there's, there's that too. Cause I, sometimes I've met leaders or been in a leadership position myself where like, you're hesitant to check up. It's easier to check in and ask those kinds of questions than just to check up, right? Yeah, I would say do that with intention then and mm -hmm. uh, actually listen. Because yeah. I definitely, and I am guilty of this, but just you've got things on your mind and you know, you're like, how are you? And then you don't actually listen, you know? People do that. What'd you say, Patricia? <laughs> <laughs> uh... I need to get one last one more, like dig in there. Yeah, I didn't pee, but I did <laughs> yeah. curse. So Ryan, you were right. You nailed Ryan it. Ryan was she right. She's going to break one of them. That's why I wouldn't bet you. I, you know what, so, though? We are kind of at, we're at that one hour mark. Maybe we should yeah. just call it a day. Yeah, my beer's in. Oh. Yeah, the beers are gone. So I'm about to run a trivia session. <laughs> no, no lightning rounds or anything like that, but. But Patricia, we do appreciate you spending the hour with us and sharing a drink with us. It's always great to see you. We weren't sure where this was going to go and uh, went in a bunch of weird and different and unusual places. I'm going to have to, I never thought I would ever hear the word boober on a podcast, but now we have. 
And so thank you for that. You're uh, welcome. No, but I, I mean, it's always good to catch up because I mean, we, we tease a lot and we, uh, we talk about silly things, but I mean, it's always awesome catching up with you about these enterprise concerns because I think uh, you're definitely a leader in this space and you, you've certainly given Todd and I a lot to think about as we build our businesses and we work with our companies and, um, and so it's always great to be able to, to kind of pick your brain because I think, uh, like I said, you've got a lot of good stuff in this space. And so we always appreciate any time you give us. Thank you. I am all about authenticity and I want you all to think about apocalyptic. That's what I want you guys to think about during a pandemic, but also what apocalyptic really means. And I think this is the time of apocalypse. Cool. You know what I want everybody to think about, Patricia? How to find their mojo. <laughs> Don't fuck the man now, Tom. Don't fuck the man. Oh, she did it. And she first too. Look at that. Right yeah, at the you, end, Patricia. she slipped that in. <laughs> thank you. Patricia. All right. Thanks, guys. Yep. Take care. Hey, it's Ryan. If you're enjoying this show and want to take a deeper dive into Scrum with me and Todd, check out agileforhumans.com forward slash training. Be sure to also look at the show notes to subscribe to our newsletter, get a copy of our book, Fixing Your Scrum, and learn more about working with us at Agile for Humans. Thanks for listening and Scrum on.